0: On the Empire Podcast this week, we cry, save me! And Lenny James and Nick Murphy hear our cries and appear in the pod booth to talk about their new Sky TV show, which is nice. Uh, All that and more on the movie podcast that considers Phlebus. And you think I'm incapable of cultural references. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. And I have no idea what that reference actually was. (laughs) Because I haven't read that book Well, thank you, Helen and Dan, for suggesting that line. It's very good. Well done. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. And uh, I've given it away already who the two colleagues of such lethal cunning are this week. They are our geek queen. Now we're in 301, 301 podcasts. (gasps) Another batch of 300 to come uh, after last week's live episode. Returning triumphant Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you?
1: I'm I'm still on a high from last week's live episode. It was so, fun, wasn't it? It was very good fun. Yeah. The great audience. Thank you all for coming. Uh, it would have been a bit weird talking to an empty room. Um <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. Like kind of what okay, we're doing now. No, yeah. But No, but this is different. It's a smaller room. You it's, know, it'd be a bit awkward sitting in a giant empty concert hall talking to ourselves.
0: It would have been embarrassing. Yeah. I have to be honest. But uh, luckily it didn't transpire. It was a very very good night and we're also joined this week by our banana loving Hand of the Apes fiend, making his first appearance on the podcast
2: for quite
0: a while. Dan Jolin, isn't that right?
2: Oh no, last, I was here when, when was last time you were on? I was here when you weren't one time. That's that was true, the last was. time you weren't really. Here. So it's, it's a long time since I've I've been here looking at your face. I'm sorry, about uh, but uh, but no, it was only a few weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was. It? Yeah, a few really? weeks. Yeah, but you know, I, I like being um, you know temporary itinerant. <laughs> what's, what's the right word? Uh, slack. Slacker. Slack, yeah,
1: Slack. Actually,
0: yeah. yes. Slacker, yes. Yeah. Slacker is the term.
1: Oh, well, peripatetic
0: is quite a Ooh, good one. I like peripatetic. Easy for you to say. Yeah.
1: I mean, not that easy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What was it last week? In, interregnum? Interregnum. And yeah. now peripatetic. You know... Perip-peri- have you come, swallowed a dictionary, Helen?
1: <laughs> come, I've been trying to teach myself how to do the New York Times crossword. And I discovered yesterday that the absolute bastards can put more than one letter in a, in a box. What? Genuinely... Sometimes they do what's called a rebus crossword and there'll be like a particular two or three or four letter sequence that can go in one box multiple times through the crossword to make it make sense. Because there were all these cases where I'm like, I think I know the answer here, but it doesn't fit. I haven't got enough letters. This crossword is broken. There are like lines missing or something. There must be. It doesn't make any sense. And I looked on Twitter and I found some, just did a search for New York Times crossword and I found somebody earlier that day saying, ah, it's a rebus one. You have to put... PO and bunch of the boxes. Spoiler. Yeah, did, absolute bastards.
2: Did that did that make you cross?
1: I I had a word. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I know
1: everybody else on the planet probably already knew that, but I didn't. So I didn't. I've learned something today.
2: So I didn't. Yesterday. I'll
0: give you I'll give you a crossword.
1: We kind of already did that joke.
0: Yeah, you were just now. You were here. Yeah. Twats. <laughs> That's ah crossword.
1: yes, 16 down, Yeah, I remember.
0: 69 down. <laughs> That's my favourite. I'm terrible at crosswords. I, I sometimes uh, uh, sit and watch you fill in the crosswords in anything, uh, in awe. I even struggle with the crossword at the back of Empire.
1: Uh, <laughs> and I'm given
0: the answers to that. I'm terrible at them. I just can't I can't think of words.
1: I think it, it is a thing about teaching yourselves to do them. Like uh, Kat Brown, formerly of this parish, has been teaching herself how to do cryptic crosswords, which, which still... Mystify me, oh. um, so yeah, she's she's very good at
2: them. I prefer Scrabble. You make your own crossword.
1: I'm very bad at Scrabble. weirdly mm. can't do it.
2: Really, yeah, it's frustrating. Very frustrating because mm. you've got these words in your head
1: and they don't fit. You haven't and got the letters. And you're looking at the oh. letters and you're
2: just going, "What? Pooh? Classic.
1: I bet, yeah. you, I bet you do put time Oh, in
2: wait score. a minute, pool. <laughs> Brilliant. One more. One more. One more letter. One more score. One yeah. more point. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty good at Scrabble. i oh,
0: pretty yeah. good. Yeah. That's okay. okay. Uh, sometimes I, I, I can get over 70 points. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. 70 points.
2: Okay. Mm. Excellent. Don't like the blank tiles. So. Yes. It's great though. This is obviously mm. what everyone comes to the Empire podcast for, is, is for us to talk about crosswords and um, board games. I'll give you a crossword.
1: You've used that line Yeah, around. we oh.
0: honestly... Right, should we have a question? <laughs> oh, Shall we have a question? <laughs> I
2: think we need one.
0: All right, so here's a question. The question came this week because this week was President's Day... In the US, obviously, I mean, we don't really have a president here, do we? We have a prime minister. Uh, So in the uh, US, I mean, Mm. one were to get political for a second, you would say that they don't have a president at the moment, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, because I'm a better better person. Their
1: president's powers were originally modelled on the powers of the king. Um, So he's closer to, that's why they're obviously also head of state. So originally he was meant to be, um, he was meant to be a... um, a closer analogue to the king than the prime minister. Fun facts.
0: Can you tell me the name of the first president?
1: George Washington.
0: You only know that because of, of Hamilton. I, I yeah. don't. You only know that because of Hamilton.
1: <laughs> I don't.
0: Yes, you do, Helen. <laughs> yes, you do. So here's a question. Uh, it pertains to President's Day and it comes from at YXLLOP. Is that a bot? Zylop? <laughs> Yixalop? Psylop?
1: Psylop, maybe? No,
0: but it's the Y before the X. Oh, okay. So, X Ix-lop. Ixlop, or, I'm looking at the backwards,
2: Polksy. Pulx- it's not even a name. It's a I handle, though. I mean, you're allowed, you're, allowed to, you're allowed to be weird with a handle, aren't you? Their question was,
0: uh, quite simply, best movie president. And then Helen pointed out that we've done that. I mean, we've been going now six years. I imagine we've answered most questions uh, at least once. But Helen said, we've done best movie president. And I'm sure we have. So you suggested, and I don't know why this popped into your head, mm. best bad presidents. Yes,
1: worst pre- or worst or, or Worst present.
0: presidents. Yeah, kind of worst or, or most evil movie presidents. Take it away.
2: President evil.
1: Was there a president evil, I wonder?
2: There should have been. There should have been. <laughs> well, actually, it's a recent one, but Bruce, Bruce Greenwood in Kingsman Golden Circle, he was quite a good one. Because mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. just like, let all the drug addicts die. That was kind of, so it was almost like there was a warped logic to what he was doing. So his evil actually came from somewhere where the, I could actually believe a politician or a president coming to the conclusion that he did, which mm-hmm. was like, hey, you know, just, just fine, it's a problem, gone, you know, no more, yeah. no more drug war because of mm. it or something, which obviously was, was warped and everything. So that was actually quite good. That was quite, yeah. quite, a, quite a smart thing.
1: I have, in fiction, enjoyed presidents who were nitwits. Um, so, uh, was it President Dale in Mars Attacks, mm. the Jack Nicholson character? Yes. One of the Jack Nicholson characters. Yes. And and President, I've had to look this up, but President Hathaway in Monsters vs. Aliens, who was voiced by <laughs> Stephen Colbert, who should be president if there were any yes. justice in the world. Um, and uh, and both of whom dealt extremely badly with alien invasion.
0: Yeah, he yeah, has a great moment. He goes, why can't we all just get along? And then... He has a quite memorable death scene as well, doesn't he? Where he he uh, he becomes the thing in which the Martians plant their flag. Yeah, <laughs> which is quite fun. Um, yeah, he's a he's an income poop. But is he is he bad? Is he is he evil? Well, he's,
1: he's bad in the sense of keeping his country, nay planet, safe. So bad yeah. in the ineffectual sense. Well,
0: I then President Thomas Whitmore is is initially bad at that, isn't he? And
1: he is, you know, Independence
0: Day. Yeah. Until of course he remembers that he's a fighter pilot and he's oh. born to be in the skies. And, up and gets. this is
1: the day that we will take back our independence.
0: Yeah,
1: I love that speech. Yeah. It's so cheesy. It's we did great. a thing
0: yesterday in the office. Uh, you know the, the website Sporkle. It's a quiz website, and oh we yes. did the thing yesterday where we, we one of the quizzes on there is: can you name every word in? famous movie speeches and one of them was the Feel the Dreams speech uh, you know if you build it they will come that sort of thing another speech was uh, Liam Neeson's in Taken the Dirty Harry speech both Maybe. of which I did alarmingly well at uh, <laughs> and then it was the, the you know today we celebrate our Independence Day speech I'm, uh, 70% I'd say mm. 70% like little tricky words yes. so he goes we will not go quietly in to the night we yeah. will not something without a fight
1: give up vanish vanish ah. without a fight yeah fair
0: we're gonna survive. We're gonna live on. Today we celebrate the Fourth of July. That's the speech. Wow, what a guy! Inspirational.
1: Yeah, shivers going down my
0: spine. Inspirational. <laughs> I visited the set of Independence Day. Remorse. Independence Day Requiem. What's it called?
1: Um, remorse, I believe. Yeah,
0: remorse. What was it called? Resurgence. Resurgence. There we go. Uh, Why? Well, how many stars did you get? That? Done? Shut up. <laughs> Not going there. None of us have a bad sci-fi review in our in our <laughs> closet. That's so all, all. I good. just thought it was quite fun. Leave me alone. Had you temporarily <laughs> misplaced your sanity that day? Just, it's a terrible,
2: terrible film. I just, I just was in a really good mood. I guess I just went to see it and went, "Ah, oh, that was good fun, wasn't it?" It was a bit stupid, but wait, what the hell? You got to put yourself in the shoes of
0: Ron and uh, Claudine Echeldy, uh, who are from. <laughs> do so you ever think about these guys who are so from a much. small village outside Leeds? And you have to think, when you go see a film, because yeah. we, we're very privileged, we see these films for free, and yeah. sometimes people throw sandwiches at our gaping malls and we sometimes think, what would Ron and Claudine do? You know, they, they, have, they, have, they, have, they have to get bus to go f- into centre of Leeds, go to Odin... I feel Odin, like this is
1: becoming a hate crime.
0: <laughs> go to Odeon spend £10 and twopence. Go on going to
2: see film. So you have to think about them. Sorry, sorry. Are you Chris? Are you Chris Plaining reviews to me? <laughs> you have to think about Ron and Claudine, I Dan, would don't like you? To,
1: I would like to apologize to the people of Leeds and indeed all surrounding areas that that <laughs> accent might have touched upon. I'm not sure
0: where they were from, to be honest. They weren't in, from Leeds originally, okay? So <laughs> Ron, in particular, that was Ron. It wasn't Claudine. Claudine is of French uh, origin. She was born.
1: Ah, uh, bien sûr.
0: She was born outside Leon. She moved to England when she was young. Ron, although they've settled outside Leeds in a small village whose name escapes me right now, uh, <laughs> he was originally born in in Bury. Right. So S- anyway, S- you got to think S- about them, Dan. S- S- That's what I'm
2: saying. You got to think about yeah, Bury.
1: <laughs> Did you know that Saint Edmund is actually buried in Bury? Saint Edmund's.
2: Holy crap. I, honestly I'm learning so much today. This is amazing. Like, of it for me. Yeah, Chris is teaching me how I should review films and Helen's teaching me useful stuff. This is good.
0: Yeah, this yeah. is good. All right. I was off the on pl- set of Independence Day uh re- Remorse and in oh, I can't even remember where it was. Anyway, so I was there in America, Santa Fe, and they they had a soirée in the evening. So we went on set. There was a, there was a big press announcement where Roland Emmerich And his cast came out and took responsibility for what was about to happen. And they were playing Independence Day on the big screen, but silently. It had a big screen set up in the middle of this courtyard and everyone was milling around. And then that speech came on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a point to this. And then that speech came on and they turned up the volume and everybody stood to attention, whether you were, you know, American, British, of alien origin, whatever it was, you stood up and you paid attention to that speech God damn right. And there wasn't a moment like that in Independence Day Remorse. And that is why you have failed, Dan, as a person uh, and as a, as a film critic. All right. I can take that. Any other movie presidents <laughs> <laughs> who are bad? I'm going to teach you something really quickly. There is oh, a president oh, of evil.
1: Oh. oh, there is. I remember oh. seeing
0: this at Comic-Con a few years ago. It is a, a comic in which uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama fight evil. So he's not evil that doesn't work, but well, he fights evil. But it's called President Evil. Okay? I, I,
1: I vaguely remember that poster, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, the other bad one that just came to mind is, of course, Billy Bob Thornton in Love Actually. Oh, well, he,
2: I, oh Martin Sheen in The West Wing. Well, evil. <laughs> I mean, I thought <laughs> I thought they got rid of him in I'm the sorry, Dead Zone, but me. then he got through and he became the president. Excuse
1: me, Dan. In this room, mm? we show respect and love for President Bartlett. That that is an inflexible.
2: But Christopher Walken saw what he was going to do. I've got one.
1: Yeah.
0: I've got I've got a bad president. And this is, of course, uh, President Alan Richmond, played by Gene Hackman in Clint Eastwood's Absolute Power. And why is he bad?
1: It corrupts absolutely, that's why.
0: It does. Uh, it really does. And uh, because he's basically... Um, Big
1: murderer, he, isn't he? Is he a murderer? He is, he, a murderer?
0: He, he is certainly responsible, maybe not directly, but for the death of his mistress. Mm-hmm. And then he covers it up
2: and has it covered up and all <gasps> sorts of stuff. And... I've got one. There's one. Anthony Hopkins, uh, he played a really bad president. Um, <laughs> uh, he is President Nixon. Uh, you remember President Nixon? But what, I can't remember what the film's called. No.
1: It, Nixon, um, a film about Nixon. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. It's something it where Anthony anything. Hopkins plays President Nixon, yeah. who everyone knows was, was, was bad. He was a crook. It's called... But, bag, uh, yeah. If it will come back to me at some point, <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it was
1: called The Bus That Couldn't Slow Down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Billy and the Clonosaurus. There's an
1: evil vice president, of course, in Iron Man 3.
0: Oh, yeah. This is true. This is true. But President Matthew Ellis. He's,
1: he's a good egg.
0: He's a good egg. And uh, let's hope he renews reops for a second term. <laughs> uh, because someone of of, of, of of real metal is going to have to be in the White House to deal with the fallout uh, no, of given, Thanos.
1: Given we're talking about Iron Man. Are you talking about a man of real metal with a T-L-E or with a T-A-L? I think we need to be clear.
0: Uh, if you were doing a crossword, it would be M E T T L E. If it would, if it was me doing a crossword, I would cram M E T A L into a into a, a, a clue that doesn't fit. Yeah. It. Okay, there's
1: that actually one more letter in. I know. Okay,
0: I know. I would do it. I would absolutely try and make it fit into a five letter <laughs> okay. five letter clue. This is why I'm terrible at crosswords. And there's one other one. Dave. Dave. What film was he in? Um well no I Dave I think it was
1: called The Bus That Couldn't Slow Down.
0: <laughs> Dave of course was Dave in the yeah. film Dave. Mm. Um, but the president that he impersonates is Bill Mitchell.
1: Bill Mitchell. Yes, and we know he's a bad president because he didn't fancy Sigourney Weaver. No way. Seriously?
0: It's very rare we have a proper evil president. So yeah. get on with Hollywood. Um, maybe look around. I don't know if you we, you might not find much in the way of inspiration from real life, but you know just see if you can get on that. Uh, all right. So if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, do send them in via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can email us as well. Podcast at empireonline.com. dot com. And you could Facebook us as well. Where we are, Empire
1: Magazine.
0: All right. So that's that sorted. Let's talk about some movie news now. What the hell is happening? You're right. I don't know what's happening. Helen, what's been happening in movie news?
1: The culture. Uh, the culture is the thing you referenced unknowingly at the beginning. It is the ser- a series of books by Ian M. Banks, who is a fantastic science fiction author. Not to be confused with the same person when he goes by Ian Banks, who's a fantastic fiction author. But his culture novels under Ian M. Banks are absolutely mind-blowingly fantastic. They theorise a sort of... Uh, intergalactic, pan-galactic civilization of more or less human beings who, uh, do whatever the hell they want because they live in, an, in a society ruled over by gigantic machine minds called minds. Um, and they have essentially unlimited power, unlimited resources. They can do whatever they, they want. They frequently do. People change sex. People live for centuries. People travel wherever they want. People devote themselves entirely to playing games or climbing mountains or doing whatever. And then they just have time to you know go about and... Consider existence, I suppose, mm. basically. Um, but there's so so much wit and invention and surprise in these books that they have become extraordinarily beloved by many of us, including myself and Dan in particular, Ooh, yeah. in this room. The good news is that the first of the culture novels, Consider Fleabas, has been opted by Amazon. They're going to adapt it as a TV show. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty exciting news. Now, we were just saying before we started, I'm not sure I would have chosen... This novel in particular, which takes place several hundred years before most of the culture stories. You can read them in any old order you want. For a lot of people, the way in is either use of weapons or the player of games, um, which are not the first one. Um, Consider Phlebus, I didn't love first time I read it, but I really, really liked it when I went back and read it again. Mm. Um, And it is uh, set during a, a very rare occurrence, which is the culture at war. And, and it's kind of almost a finding myth of the culture. This is when the culture becomes the culture, the dominant force in the galaxy. Um, yeah. And so it's it's a little bit different in feel and tone as a result because it is at war. But the idea is that basically we we start with a sort of Rogue enemy agent, yeah. Who's a who's a shapeshifter? He's an operative of the Adirans, who are the uh, enemy force to the Culture, and um, he is sent to retrieve a Culture mind. So one of these gig- incredibly powerful machine minds, uh, which could kind of change the course of the war if he can get it. Mm. So that's his that's his mission. It doesn't go to plan.
2: Spoiler. Mm. Yeah, I think it's. I I don't agree that it's not the best place to start. Because I actually think it's got great potential for uh, like visually yeah, uh, for, for a drama series. Um, I think there's a lot of action in it. It's effectively, uh, you know, it's just almost a criticism of the book that it's, it's actually just a string of set pieces. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the plot wise, it's quite loose and, and kind of hawser goes from crazy adventure to crazy adventure on his journey to get to this lost mind. But also, there's some interesting stuff happening, which which is, in a weird way, I think, more relevant now than it was when Banks wrote it, because the culture is is pretty much modern America to the nth degree in a lot of ways. I think, in the sense, you know, it's a kind of it's a playground for everyone there. It's it's you know, it's it's arguably. Uh, arguably decadent. And the Iderans are religious. Mm -hmm. They are religious. I mean, you could argue extremists, but for them, this is a holy war. They are fighting almost for the soul of the galaxy. They think that, you know, because the culture is decadent, because it's shallow, that they are going to save the galaxy by, by defeating them. And they see the culture as evil. And quite a lot of... Story is told from the idea inside. Yeah. By the way, they're kind of giant three-legged aliens. Uh,
1: they're kind of lizardy things. Yeah, they? Yeah. yeah.
2: They got. They, they, Although
1: our hero is humanoid because he's a shapeshifter.
2: Yes, yeah. but he's a secret agent for them. You are listening to the Culture
0: <laughs> Special Edition of the Empire Podcast. Can we move on to something else now?
1: Is there anything else worth talking about? Jesus
0: Christ, please, please <laughs> God, anything else? Uh, should we talk about the astonishing success of Black Panther?
1: Yay! That's-
0: uh, at the uh, at the domestic box office, at the global box office. And you know what? Most of all, in our hearts. <laughs> it is the true box office champion of our hearts. Uh, it did incredibly well uh, in case you've been living in a rock. Uh, living in a rock? In a rock. <laughs> you've been living in a rock for the last week or so, Black well, Panther. M-
2: maybe it's like a, a, an artificially projected rock and inside the rock is a highly civilised and yes. high-tech uh, civilization then. thing. Oh, <laughs> Jesus
1: Christ. Bringing it back.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: You're both banned
2: from the podcast,
0: by the way. So Black Panther did incredibly well. It made over $200 million in its opening weekend, coming second only to the Avengers in terms of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh. Uh, it, It posted the largest February opening weekend with $202 million, the largest winter season opening weekend, the largest President's Day weekend opening with $242 million, largest Monday in history beating Star Wars The Force Awakens, the largest Tuesday... This is this is where the records get a bit arcane. The largest Tuesday in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this may be the most obvious record. Uh, the highest grossing film called Black Panther. Uh, but this is absolutely astonishing that it made almost half a billion dollars in its uh, opening weekend around the world. It's, but, it's fantastic.
1: And basically, mathematically, it's almost certain now to end up in the top 10 of all time. And the only question is... Where it ends up in that
0: top 10, right? Uh, Whether it hits a billion, Mm -hmm. uh, which would become... We're not going to get too bogged down in in box office chicanery. Don't worry about that. But if it hits a billion, that would be really, really interesting because no Marvel movie that doesn't feature Tony Stark has hit the uh, billion-dollar mark before. And this is really interesting. It feels like almost a game-changer in the build-up to Infinity War. Mm -hmm. You start to think, what's the ceiling now for Infinity War? Can Infinity War go beyond this? Will it go beyond this? Or has Black Panther almost stolen moved some to of its thunder? Yeah.
1: But I mean I think what is also clear is there is absolutely no reason in the world why I shouldn't have Ms. Marvel and Squirrel Girl in my eyes within the next two years. Hmm. Okay, maybe three.
2: Why not? Bring it on. All of it. All of it. Can we talk <laughs> can we talk about the culture again? Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. No, um, What's I, your favourite culture book that isn't considered oh, flea Oh, no, okay. no,
0: No, Dan, Dan, Dan. What? I will eject you forcibly from the from the pod booth. <laughs> okay. You don't frighten me, Joel, and you don't frighten me. I'd um, like to see you fucking try, <laughs> mate.
1: Ooh. I've
0: got a crossword for you, pal. But enough box office nonsense.
1: We have a couple of other big stories. Yep. Um, uh, Paul King was in talks uh, last week, I think we talked about him... Uh, possibly tackling a new Willy Wonka, um, mm-hmm. and he's also now apparently in talks to direct a live-action version of Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Neither of which is Paddington Three, and it's it's getting a bit worrying. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, I'm sure he'll do a wonderful job with this. This is the one that Sam Mendes was on board for a few years, a couple of years back, maybe. Um, and apparently, the script is currently being rewritten by Jack Thorne.
2: So, wow. I'd be yeah. careful with Pinocchio, though. A lot of people have been trying to make Pinocchio for a very a live-action Pinocchio for a very long time.
0: This is Disney's latest live-action uh, adaptation of one of its animated classics. And uh be interested to see what Paul King thinks. I could have asked him when I saw him 45 minutes ago, but I didn't. Well. There you go. Well done, Chris. Send the Pulitzer my way, <laughs> if you will. I wasn't even aware that it happened, my God. Uh, I'm my fingers on the pulse.
1: There's nothing I, like research. Not
0: really, there? and that was nothing like research. <laughs> In fairness, we weren't talking about the future. We were talking about the past. And I didn't, anyway, I failed I failed you uh, as, a, as a person and as a film critic. <laughs> uh, but if someone, if anyone has the, the right blend of, of whimsy and wit and wide-eyed wonder, it's Paul King. And I'd rather see him do this than Willy Wonka. Fair enough. Uh, and I'm still not sure he should do Paddington 3. Mm. I still think they should leave well alone.
1: I think right. if it was a bit like if if they did it as well as they did Paddington 2 because the more I think about it Paddington 2 is even better than Paddington. And so I'm I'm now like I'm okay with a with a third if they have if they have something that they believe in. Yes. Obviously absolutely. not just for the sake of it. Yeah.
0: Paddington just cashes it all in. Big yeah. old bucket of cash for all Paddington. That's, that would
1: not be a good subtitle. Yeah. Uh
0: bucket of cash. Paddington kicks the bucket in number 3. Uh speaking of sequels. <laughs> Jessica I, Chastain. Mm. Jessica Chastain is in talks to star as Pennywise.
1: No. Uh, in
0: It chapter... No? No. <laughs> <laughs> I got that wrong. Beverly? No, it's Chris. We've met before, Helen. You oh, right, should know. Sorry. Um, oh, I like see what you mean.
1: Yeah. I think she might be in talks to play Beverly, who yeah. was originally played in the first uh, of the, the two new modern It's by Sophia Lillis, um, who's apparently likely to be in the mo- new movie, at least in a couple of sort of flashbacky um scenes. Um, and to me she looks exactly like Amy Adams and I would go to Amy Adams first however Jessica Chastain is obviously a brilliant actress and has formed with the director because of course she worked mm-hmm. on Mama
0: Andy Muschietti is yeah. the director and uh, I think an interview well, I'm not sure if this is a new interview but certainly uh, there was. I saw, I saw a quote this week where Jessica Chastain said she loves Andy Muschietti and his sister Barbara who's also a producer in the mm-hmm. film uh, Barbara's one of her best friends and so yeah she de- definitely has, uh, has has horror history shall we say and I think this is pretty much I think this is pretty much perfect casting to be honest I'm not sure if she can play Beverly and Pennywise though, but
1: okay maybe we'll just drop the Pennywise then huh Oh okay yeah I think it could work Chris
0: Why don't why don't you want me to be happy Helen
1: um, I mean, it's a long, long history.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How long have we got? Not too long, not too long. We've got to cram some more stuff in.
1: Hey, think, speaking of things that go on and on for too long,
0: yeah. Bond. Are oh, no. you talking about culture again?
1: No, I'm talking about James Bond. Um, so the the Bond rumour mill, which traditionally gears up every three years and mm-hmm. is insufferable for like six, eight months before production starts.
2: It, it is... It never really stops either.
1: Well, no, this it, it is true. It never really uh, stops. Idris Elba, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, he's sick of it. Let's give the, you know, either give the pro man the role or just let's move on. Anyway. Too old. Yes. It probably
0: Too old. Is. Begin the training.
1: Uh, so uh, Christopher Nolan has confirmed he won't direct Bond 25. I'm not sure who thought he would, but he has confirmed I, that he won't I on Desert not, Island I not, Discs.
2: I am not dropping off my chair in surprise.
1: No. Um, so MGM apparently have a wish list of directors, at the top of which is one Daniel Boyle.
2: <gasps> mm. Oh, Danny Boyle. Danny, who has actually uh, mm-hmm. directed Bond. Yes, he has. Yes, he has.
1: Yes, he has. The He's Olympics, directed
2: Daniel Craig as Olympics has
1: opening Bond. ceremony Yeah. with her madge.
2: With HRH.
1: Yeah. Um... And now there's, there's news that would tend to support the whole he's at the top of the list and might be approaching a deal because John Hodge is apparently working on, on the script for Bond 25 and, of course, he's worked with Danny Boyle approximately a bajillion times.
0: Choose Walter. Mm. Choose casinos. <laughs> Choose sleeping with multiple women with absolutely no emotional consequences. <laughs> Choose flashy opening sequences. Mm. Choose a terrible song by Sam Smith choose Bond very very quickly because we have to get into the review section and we have to talk about this behemoth of a magazine Jurassic World 3 has been confirmed and Colin Trevorrow is going to co-write the script with a newcomer uh, Emily Carmichael who may be part Raptor I'm not entirely sure we don't know much about her but uh, I think she's uh, co-written Pacific Rim 2 so maybe that bodes well for that film indeed it's all very very exciting so that's going to happen I think 2020 or 2021 I don't know skim read the story Thanks, Chris. Let's move on to talk very, very quickly about this month's new issue of Empire because it is all happening, it's all kicking off. Issue 347 of the world's biggest movie magazine is now on sale in all good and evil newsagents. And this one is a bit of a special belter, uh, I have to say. Even more so than usual because we asked a young up-and-coming director called Stephen Spile. Spielberg, 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 Michael Stuhlbarg has taken over Empire <laughs> now that would be an issue worth worth reading That's wouldn't amazing. it that amazing uh, so Steven He's Spielberg awesome. for It Is He has taken over Empire and uh, our features section is largely dedicated to the films of The Great Man including of course his new movie Ready Player One I will race through the content and if you decide at the end of this that this issue is not worth your, your hard earned then You're dead to me. Do you know who's going to buy it? Ron. Ron and Clementine (laughs) Eccleley.
1: You've forgotten their names.
0: We have a big (laughs) interview with Steven Spielberg himself. There's a shock. I've forgotten her name. Clemine Clemene? Anyway. Ready Player One, we have uh, an exclusive look at Ready Player One. Uh, We asked a whole bunch of A-list directors to write about their favourite Spielberg movies, including Martin Scorsese and Chris Nolan and Juan Antonio Bayona. And uh, Edgar Wright went one better than all of them, and he got The Great Man on the phone. They talked about Duel, and we'll be publishing that in full on the website. There is a whole bunch of words on a movie called Jaws. Uh, I interviewed Tom Hanks and most of the cast of the opening beach sequence of Saving Private Ryan for an oral history of that sequence. Amazing. Uh, Nick DeSemmian talked to Goldblum, Dern and Neil about Jurassic Park. Uh, we have interviews with the Spielberg kids, so the likes of Josh Brolin and Kihei Kwan, people like that, and Dakota Fanning... We also talked to Ava Dufarnay about her new movie, A Wrinkle in Time, and Eli Roth about Death Wish and the legacy of Death Wish. And there's all sorts of stuff going on elsewhere inside the issue. Loads of movies reviewed, including Black Panther. Uh, Taika Waititi talked to Helen about Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. In the review section, it was tough. It was <laughs> tough. Uh, and there's all sorts of stuff. Daisy Ridley says, "Month's pint of milk," and it's very, very funny. And uh, I wrote a sonnet, an iambic pentameter, for the Inside Number Nine piece. Uh, <laughs> did you? I did indeed.
1: Are are sonnets supposed to be an iambic?
0: Not all of them, but this one, this one, all right. this one is. So good for you. I haven't yeah. read that. Yet. Well done. Oh, it's 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 terrible. Don't read it. Read it. Right. Time now for this week's guests. Uh, The new Sky TV show, Save Me, hits on February 28th. You can see all six episodes in one go. I've seen two episodes so far and it is cracking. It is a a thriller set on a South London council estate and it follows Lenny James Nelly as he is accused of abducting his daughter whom he hasn't seen in a long, long time. Uh, He claims he didn't do it and he sets out to find the culprit. What marks this out, which is really interesting about this show as well, apart from the fact that it is, it is funny and uh, realistic and moving and gripping, is that it not only stars Lenny James, who of course people might know best as Morgan from The Walking Dead and soon to be Fear of the Walking Dead, but he also wrote and created the show as well, all six episodes. Uh, so when he came into London this week from a brief hiatus on Walking Dead duties, uh, we dragged him into the pod booth and alongside him, we got the show's director, Nick Murphy, uh, who directed the likes of The Awakening and Blood on the big screen. But most recently has been directing TV shows like The Secret, The Last Kingdom and now This. Had a lot of fun talking to these guys. They're very, very smart cookies indeed. And we may be getting to football a little bit just towards the end. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on The Emperor Podcast by the writer, creator, star of the new Sky TV show, Save Me. It's one person. Yeah Lenny James Hello How are you? I'm good actually, how are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad And uh, the director of said TV show Someone
3: I've been trying to get in this podcast for a long, long time Nick yeah, Murphy Yeah, I, I, I was waiting for somebody else to take over the podcast And then I'd be happy to come along with, you've, <laughs> you've, you've, uh, you've got me <laughs> How's it going? Very well, yeah, very well We're excited it We go out in a um, in a week or so It's, uh, yeah. it's just ace for us yeah, February really
0: nice. 28th, all six
4: episodes All six, yeah, being dropped at the same time uh, yeah, which is is that something that's, that's
0: new to you both?
3: I did a strip broadcast. So I did a, a show for the BBC about uh, eight years ago called Occupation, and that kept, that that was what was called strip broadcast Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it was. Um, but the the full drop, it's it's the first for me. Is it for you? Oh, you? it's absolutely the, the first Walking Dead one, goes yeah. out serially, does it? Yeah, uh, Walking Dead goes out serially. I mean, you
4: know, I've had things like when Line of Duty. Was bought by Hulu in America, it was uh-huh. straight to stream. Or when something else that I'd made over here that was shown weekly uh-huh. uh, was bought by Netflix, you know, you you can stream them straight away. But for it to for us to be a, uh, made something that goes straight to streaming is new.
0: You have the thing every Monday where, you know, The Walking Dead, I an episode fa- goes out. I hope it finds
3: <laughs> success, Walking yeah. Dead. I hope it picks up. Do you think it so, might? Yeah, I'm so. not sure it's got the legs. to be honest.
0: There's <laughs> <laughs> maybe a series <laughs> or two in there. Is that why you're jumping ship to a different show? I it? am, yeah.
4: It's burning, mate. I'm the first rat off.
0: <laughs> but save me. I've seen the first two episodes so far, uh, which are fantastic. And this is a, an incredible story. And uh, can you talk about the genesis of it, where, where it came from. You play Nelly, who is a, a man trying to track down his daughter who has been abducted.
4: Yeah, I'm, Nelly's a guy who, um, um, I think the way I mostly describe him is the simplest way to describe him really. is the geezer at the end of the bar that you know, 15 years ago, all the men wanted to drink with and all the women wanted to sleep with, but it was 15 <laughs> years ago. And now it's all a bit tired, but he's still trying to live off of the glory. And he gets um, arrested and accused of abducting his estranged 13-year-old daughter who he hasn't seen for 10 years. Mm. And thereafter, the story is about all that Nelly does in order to try and find out who took his child, because whoever took his child took her pretending to be him. Yes. And uh, it's about what it does to him, what it does to the people closest to him, and what it does
0: to his community. And where did the idea come from? Has this been something that's been percolating for a while?
4: It was bubbling around. It's a, you know, it was a simple one, really. I, it was, um, it was part of another idea I had that I was letting percolate in my head. And then I got a telephone call from my agent saying that Ann Mensah, who's the head of drama, um, had made a phone call to see whether or not I had anything I fancied pitching to um, Sky. And so I took a long weekend. I was filming in Detroit Took a long weekend, thought about it. And, and then, wrote the whole series? And then wrote right? the whole series in one sitting. No, <laughs> I, I wrote two pages uh, of the idea and I sent it off to them and that's what became Save Me. And when was this? Oh, do you know what? It must have been four years ago.
0: Okay, wow. And then you set aside a couple of hours to write the whole six episodes yeah. Yeah. and everything was good. And, yeah. and, uh, and Nick, what point did you become involved?
3: In well, I, I, uh, I got that awful call to Be told an actor has written a script. Of, oh, god, geez.
4: he's not even joking. <laughs> oh, god.
3: that's genuine oh, I, what his first dying, thought was dying to read it, it's gonna be great. Um, but uh, I, I was aware he'd, <clears throat> he'd written this after winning film, whatever, a few years ago, so he could string two words together. Um, and then I uh, I, I read it, and actually, there's 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 a scene at the very beginning you probably remember where uh, the con- the people in the in the local pub on the estate in south east london where it's set, contemporary uh, yeah. story today um, discuss whether or not sharks <laughs> yes have one or two dicks yes and i the, 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 he lenny sort of had me at shark dicks really <laughs> um, in the nicest possible way i mean in the sense we in the sense we directors look for that sort of something different and and um, it, the, anybody that's going to devote twelve pages of an opening ep- the big first twelve pages of an opening episode to to such a conversation, do you think is worth sticking with? And it's uh, yeah. So at that stage, I was on board with I think one or maybe two scripts had had come out of the uh, the writing machine that is uh, that is Lenny, um, but it was clearly enough to trust that everything else would come out. And the, rest, the, the the surrounding accoutrements of the show were right the right exec producer the right the mm. right uh, the production company were good everything felt good. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, more than willing to climb on board.
0: Fantastic. And in terms of the the working relationship, because Lenny, obviously, you're 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 the star, you're the writer, you're the, you're the creator as well. Uh, generally speaking, on films, the, the buck stops with the director. But how does that relationship work when you're working with someone who's who's written the words, who's saying the words, and mm-hmm. has created the show?
3: Well, firstly, it was it was brilliant. Um, and and it, it, there was never any tension, actually. Um, but the the I th- I think that came mostly from Lenny. The the I had an early conversation where there's very complicated. His uh, Lenny's scripts are very very complicated. There's dual dialogue. Anybody anybody's written scripts will know what I mean. Yeah. Where the dialogue is presented simultaneous to each other, uh, and you talk over each other. And I said to him very early, I just can't see without hours of rehearsal, I can't see this marrying and hitting the right. The right moments, you're gonna to have to let me be a bit fluid, fluid with it. Um, and Lenny's response was, yeah, "Okay, let's see." But in actual, in, in actual fact, when you look at the show now, those scenes they do pan out exactly as written. The rhythms were correct on the page. I'm serious, and that's and that was uh, when, when I started to realise that. That then. You know, you realise actually, this guy really has thought it through, and and I don't allow people to change words on on set. I don't like people sitting there saying, "Can I say lonely instead of isolated or whatever?" Because I think a writer's taken a, a moment to think about whether the, which hours. Is the right word exactly, exactly. Um, to the, the right word. But 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 so even though we didn't change anything, and I tell people at castings that, that that's not going to happen; they're not going to be able to okay. just weigh in, but. Once on set, and once Lenny and I had gained each other's confidence in that way, the augmentation of what was there uh-huh. with the with the sort of the peripheral bits of drama to do with thanking somebody that passes them a drink and yeah. waiting to try and interrupt, and just like you have, yeah, yeah. Um, those sort of things started to leak out of the cast, and and we knew it was done in a controlled way, so we trusted the process. We didn't. We we knew quite early that we didn't have a cast. We managed to assemble a cast that wouldn't just think, oh, actually, I can go weighing in.
4: And also, um, uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt, yeah. I, I think it was, <clears throat> without being too precious about um, uh, the words on the page, um, we did say to our cast, Let's, because my characters speak with a particular kind of cadence, they mm. speak with <clears throat> a particular kind of um, rhythm, and I wanted, and it's not always easy but I wanted the cast to try and mm. say what was on the page, and if it wasn't working, I'm more than willing to um, to change it. But I wanted them to try and get to what was on what was on the page, as opposed to going. That's difficult. I'm going to stick in a, an um or an er uh, or a and or a fuck. Yeah, a I mean, you know, because mostly mm. when you ask people to improvise, what they end up doing is swearing, loads. <laughs> and it's not <laughs> really helpful and it's not really authentic because someone would mention it if you swear as much as they do. So that was kind of important and the cast kind of got that and kind of went into it. But as far as me and Nick was kind of concerned, I think there is a tension at kind of at the beginning. And I think the good thing between us is that we were both aware of it, you know, because I'd written it and and I was in it and I was, you know, one of the producers of it. There was a kind of sense of, you know, um, you know, how much am I going to be a possibility of me throwing my weight around? But yeah. We, um, we had a, actually, what happened was, is Nick was filming, I think you were filming in Canada, yeah. Yeah, in right. Calgary, and I was down in Atlanta doing, um, The Walking Dead, and we kind of met halfway in New York. For a lot of cocktails. For a, lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cocktails. And we had a lot of cocktails. We, mm. and we went, uh, st- met at the hotel. We were both staying in the same hotel, and we went to the restaurant downstairs, and we just had a fantastic evening. Hmm. And ultimately, all it comes down is into, is, comes down to is trust. Could I, can I trust this
3: guy? Are we going to be open yeah. to each other's ideas? Are we going to be able to work together? And over that... There were times on set that, that Lenny did say quietly to me, I, I just wonder if there's a bit more ambivalence in her. He, he would bring suggestions to me. It's not like I felt he was a hawk on my shoulder and and the producer was absolutely far from that. So I was very free on set, very trusted by the broadcaster, very trusted by the producers. So I, so I never felt threatened. And of course, when, you're, when you don't feel threatened, you're far more open to stuff than you are when you... Do feel threatened? Yeah. So there were times. It's not like Lenny just mutely said, "Oh gosh, whatever, whatever you say, Nick." I'm sure it's. fine. you know, he he, he did uh, he did monitor that in, in a sense. But also the, the, the adherence to the script. It doesn't just matter for the sensibilities of the writer. Mm. The process for actors and all you actors listening out there. Um, <laughs> the, the process for actors. It's part of. Part of making it work. Part of the discipline is trying to get that to work. And I, I, I made a film a few years ago with Michael Sheen, which I'd written for the mm. BBC about, about Emperor Nero, and he played Emperor Nero. Mm. And, and on set, there was some line that was bumping, and what I wasn't happy with. And I'd written the damn thing, and I said, Michael, do you want me to? Why don't I change it? He goes, No, 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 no. Our job's to make this work. That's why we're here. Oh wow, okay. And he was the one that's saying, No, no, no. If you give up like that, if you let the worm in your ear and think actually, if you lose confidence in it, you've got to keep saying, Right, I've got to try and find a way of making it work. And in those, in that effort the awkwardness and this goes for the staging of scenes I'm going to deliberately stage this in a challenging way and we're going to the, by tr- by trying to make this rather awkward staging work yeah. we're going to find something that's a bit more fresh and, and interesting yeah. than we would if we, were, if we just went with what was easy
0: and, and the characters are so uh, richly drawn Lenny can, I don't know if you can tell <clears throat> because obviously people who listen to this I imagine a lot of them will want to get into writing and they want to know about process and the characters are so diverse and so richly drawn in this in this story uh, do you come up with backstories beforehand how do you go about approaching disparate characters?
4: Um, for me, it's all about uh, it's all about I don't know whether it's because uh, it comes from myself as an actor. I will um, I will have a, a, a sense of story, but it's always about the uh, the characters that populate it, and it's always about the things that they say. So sometimes I'll write a scene, and I'll start off just by writing a conversation. I'll just it will just be what I once said in that particular scene. So it's always for me kind of based on the um, the words that people are saying to each other, and then I will you know go back and work the scene again and work the scene again and stretch it out and bring in what it should you know ideas about what it looks like and where it's situated and where it and where it lands. But um, mostly it for me it's it's about the words, so that's where I find it. But you know it's got to be pinned around something. So of course I have a sense of the, um you know um time and place but mm. on save me it was very much I wanted to write a thriller um I wanted to see whether or not I could um write something within that genre and to be true to the genre and um and the things that it it demands of you the kind of who done it, the kind of um, is he gonna find her, is he gonna, isn't he gonna find her? What's gonna happen? Who's that around the corner? Who's guilty? Who's not guilty? All yeah. of those things I wanted to play with. I just wanted to set it in a place where usually people don't tell um, um the story of a thriller. Usually, if it's something set on a housing estate in Southeast London, it's all about living on a housing estate in Southeast London, and that's not <laughs> what I wanted to do. I wanted that to be obviously the kind of, um, to feed into the story but not be
3: the story. And a lot of thrillers are only about thrillers as well. I mean, you know, when Lenny says to be on, on the genre, I mean in the way it does, in the way Rear Window does. The Rear Window is as much about Kelly and and, uh, and his relationship as it is what's happening over the mm. over the way. And and that's, that becomes the architecture of actually the, the, the thriller. So what, what, what happens is to save me, yes, there is a thriller plot running through it, but the ramifications and the ripples on the pond that cause in these very, very visceral, well realised characters, that becomes that becomes the the takeaway. That becomes what means means you, you, you tune in for the next episode. It isn't so much to find out the just the big mystery. It's to see that play out in the people you know. So I think you know, the genre is too much writing nowadays. I watch a load of stuff and an awful lot of it is just tripping from writer deceit to writer deceit. Now the character's going to say this they probably wouldn't, but I need them to because I want them <laughs> to get them to go to the church, and I need them to do this I need them to... so it 's all just bundling quick, bum, bum bum, and I think we've got enough thriller plot in ours to fill three or four episodes of of a of, a, of one of these hyper yeah. um nor, nor, normal hyper sort of narrative based. Thrillers, but we instead we take our time. We take our time to, in order to properly feel, you've got the proper fabric of a world in which the thrillers mm. happening. Thrillers happen in thrillers all the time. So if a child goes missing, or somebody cheats on each other, or somebody's killed, mm. it's not it's not shocking in a cinematic space in that in that sense. It's only shocking if you feel it happens in a space that is yeah. an environment in which it would be shocking. Yeah. Uh, and that I think you do you do come away thinking from where, when you watch Save Me, you think, God, yeah, how would they cope? Bloody hell! And of course, a lot of it's funny. They didn't spend an awful of time yeah. moping around going, oh, she's missing, I can't believe it. Life goes on, and that's the other thing that benefit the scripts. They, they contain this sort of warmth, because when people go missing, people also get hungry, and they also have arguments. So yeah, they also, they also misunderstand each other. And, uh, and also
4: I think there's a sense now, because there's uh, we're all wise to it, and, the, yeah, and everybody can do the the writing courses online, there's a lot of television... And films um, that are about tropes from televisions yeah. and films, and not yeah. about things that necessarily happen in real life. Yeah. And one of the things that was very important to me was that my characters are behaving based on or versions of real life, mm. as opposed to based on or versions of other characters on television. <laughs> and um, and I think it's really important that we that we firstly can tell the difference and yeah. secondly that we do something that's kind of different to because otherwise all television starts looking like all those people who go to the same plastic
3: surgeon and end up looking <laughs> kind no, of yes. no I, I agree I agree and you I know what I mean yeah I'm no exactly agree. You mean. You, I agree I've read a lot of scripts obviously I'm lucky enough to read a lot of scripts and the half the time the characters are described that way uh so and so the novice over keen you know the, you, you're describing them as a as a sort of cliche yeah um, in 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 parentheses after you meet each character, rather than actually, I'm going to build a set of characters and then apply some set of circumstances to them. Um, so, writer tip number one is don't base it on something else you've seen. It's just and, and we didn't with the scenes, did we? We no. we would say, does anybody here feel like this is something from a telly show? Oh, really? And we go, yeah, it does a bit. The stopping and the turning and the, okay, mix it up, mix it up. We, we just listen out for our antennae. If it just felt like a TV show, let's just make sure it never feels like a TV show. And and we made a rule at no five, no, even not one minute, not 30 seconds, not five seconds should the audience be able to pause it and say, I know what's going to happen next. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. That was a biggie for us. That's amazing. Was that tif- difficult in the uh, writing process? Uh,
4: no, I think I can't actually recall a moment where we went, I, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but we weren't necessarily just going, let's bury it and, yeah. and put it down there so that no, no one will know. It was just that, you know, people might be able to, um, to guess, but we just wanted to make sure that we weren't, um, laying it out for them or leaving ourselves open to it because we're about to go down a road that's, you know, is the easy route. To get from A to B or C to D, as opposed to let's try and find the real way there. Yeah.
3: And cliché's nobody's fault. I never blame actors. Or actors particularly want to want to do what the, the right thing. Yeah. So if they and we've we've talked about this, Lenny and I have talked about this is the toga syndrome. If you if you if you give an actor a line and put him in a toga. Mm-hmm he will start to speak like this because he feels this is what is expected when you in when Osaka and and they want to do what they think a TV show expects them so if it's a cop scene they yeah. certainly without any direction at all start behaving like TV cops not like cops <laughs> but like TV cops and it's that, that because they want to do the right thing and they yeah. and they need to be encouraged and freed to say Okay, you don't need to, and and the producers were always putting, uh, giving giving freedom to Lenny to say, don't feel you need to, you want to tell the story like we, we'd make suggestions about what if, what if, what if, but never feel you're telling it because you, this is what TV shows do, Absolutely. and and that that produces a lot of a lot of the great feedback we're getting, and the reason the channel love it so much, they're going so. <clears throat> going to so ape on the publicity of it, and so pride they've got in it is, is I think, because of that. It just doesn't be- behave like a TV show.
0: Uh, and, uh, Lenny, you're just about to head back uh, to America to start filming on, I guess now, Fear the Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead, yeah. Fear the Walking Dead for you. Is, is that a difficult uh, change to get used to? Do
4: you know what? It's, um, it's a strange one, I'm not going to lie to you, because I had all of uh 6 days between finishing on the walking dead and starting on <laughs> fear the fear the walking dead and in between that I had to come back here to do some stuff for save me oh so uh, it has been a um a bit of a blur and I have to keep reminding myself of on which particular part of the zombie apocalypse I'm taking <laughs> my particular character to <clears throat> but um I am enjoying it I it's it's a rare opportunity that an actor is given that I've found myself in where i've been associated with a character for kind of on and off for eight years mm. and if you had said that to me before i left and went to america i'd be like oh my god what have i done have i signed up for coronation street or something? i'm playing it this geezer forever and ever and ever and no ever disrespect to no coronation disrespect no disrespect to coronation street or other soaps that i could name but um <laughs> other soaps are available other yeah. soaps are available so um, I had a decision to make when the, um, when it was first suggested to me about moving over to um, FIA, but um, I just looked around and I thought, who else has been offered after you've kind of created this character, taken the responsibility of him. I'm very proud of the work I've done playing yep. him and, and the place he has in the um, the mythology of this show. And and then I'm offered the possibility of taking him to a completely different place with completely different actors and to invest in him and explore him in a very different way. Uh-huh. And I looked around and there wasn't anybody else who I could go, oh, you mean like that person did or yeah. like that person did? and. Yeah. Figured that that was a unique opportunity, and I'd be silly or silly to say no. Frasier. Frasier.
3: There you
0: go, pretty much it. But that was a it. Complete, it's really
4: about it, isn't it. That was a completely new show. So it was it was mm. a straight off spin off. I'm a character that's been established going into a show that's been established mm. and taking one to the other. It's a, mm. you know, because there are other things like, you know, yeah. spin offs from the Mary Tyler Mo- Moore show yeah. or Happy Days you know, and whatnot. or yeah. um, Better Call Saul or you yep. know, things like that. Mm. So there are examples of, building a show around it, but to co- go into a, an already existing show as a character that's been established on another show, if you can come up with another fella, I'd be really happy <laughs> because i quite like to speak to that person. After I do have one. What am I supposed to do? I do here. have one.
0: I do have one. I have one. I have one. Uh, Richard Belzer, the, uh, the, oh, you're right. the comedian actor, he holds, the record, holds the record for playing uh, the same character, John Munch, on about... 12 different shows. Cuz
4: he did homicide as well,
0: didn't he? Started off in Homicide Life on the Street, then moved oh, to Law & right. Order SVU, but as a joke, he keeps showing up in different shows as much. So he's right. been on Arrested Development, he's been in The Simpsons, he's been in The X-Files, he's been in all sorts of stuff as his This character. is a sort
3: of Burbank in joke, is it? Yeah, this is the old, like, He just
0: That's will hilarious. show up in the background for two or three That's shots. Fantastic. That's fantastic. It is great that he started off in a completely unrelated show and then popped up in Law & Order SVU. Mm. But what that means, of course, Lenny is that then you have to have multiple Morgan spin-offs from this point on. You have to have your own type spin-off.
4: I, I have to be in the Simpsons. Yes. Yes. In the Simpsons. Well, Please let him in the Simpsons. <laughs> let's just stop right there. And let's deal with that one. I have to be in the Simpsons.
3: And you're happy to stick at that. No, just, do you know what? I'll settle
4: for
0: that. I'm not, All right. I'm not greedy. Oh, let's just man. do the Simpsons. We'll get the word out, Matt Raining and the team. It, it will happen. It will absolutely happen. And Nick, what's next for you?
3: Um I'm uh, sticking with Sky. I've uh, they've asked me to develop a um. Uh, an eight-part series for them, so I'm Fantastic. tapping away, spending my days at the end, my office at the end of the garden, trying to trying to make sense of 40 years of espionage.
0: In- oh wow! So you're writing you're writing this one as well? Yeah, because the last few projects you've you've
3: directed. No, I, yeah, scripts, directed, I and actually, yeah. I'm I'm I have to be careful who I. Admit this too, and I certainly wouldn't say it on a podcast, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I back myself as a director, but I'm, I'm quite a good writer. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah. So I need to be, uh, I need to concentrate extra hard. But I'm working, I'm working with a journalist called Martin Bright, who, okay. who's an observer journalist, yeah. um, spectator, and, uh, and such. And he, uh, he's helping me with the, the factual background to this, this opus that we're, we're constructing across, as I say, 40 years of espionage wow. in Britain. It's, um, it's a good, it's a great, great idea. We're very happy with it. So that's that's going to take a lot of my time now. Fantastic.
0: So obviously the last couple of years for you have been Save Me and The Last Kingdom and The Secret and mm. uh, and then the, the one you're working on now as well. But you have mm. obviously directed films in the past as well. Are you, mm. are you working on anything? I,
3: I don't want to go back to I say this, you know, if if DreamWorks rang, I, you know what I mean, It's Barbara Broccoli, if you're listening, um, but Simpsons movies, Simpsons, two two Simpsons two starring. movie starring. same <laughs> James character as, as Morgan. James Morgan, yeah, for no um, reason, <laughs> None. In the bar propping up the bar, yeah. I, 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 there's something when you when you. When you're ambitious, as a young man you sort of step out young man man or woman you step out and you just want to eat it up and just go and make movies make movies. that's what we dreamed of doing that's what we imagined. you know we, we went to as, as kids they they kept me going as a child and I so so movies have a special place in their heart in the way that TV never quite will but you have real life to get through and mm. movies are too commonly constructed on the idea of okay we're going to film in September and okay I'm not going to get paid until you shoot it by the way until you actually get the cameras out of the box you're not going to get paid on it but you're going to, we're going to start in september and it's now may and you invest all this time prepping it and then something happens a little glitch in the schedule and availability of the actor and actually we you know we're going to we're going to push it we're going to push it, and we're probably better to go in february actually march tell you what we're going to go april and suddenly you you can't build your life around that and you end up with an independent movie yes you have the the opportunity for great authorial control in movies. Mm. yes you have you're taken far more seriously as a director of movies when you're not in television as much and writers are far more the the um, the key holders mm. but in in truth that's changing and and I think you end up we're going you end up making a TV show you, you now I'm getting to the point where I'm hugely trusted. As a director, I'm, I'm, you know, perhaps wrongly, but I am, and and the audiences you get are bigger than you would do in an independent movie. So, I, uh, you know, yes, I'd go and do the larger movies if if the opportunity um, arose. I was listening to um, the the last podcast talking about Otto's. Well, Otto's a brilliant director, and that was a it was great. That's finally happened. Robin Hood, yeah. And 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 yes, there's the, the, that. That's always tempting if something like that happens. But the television's a great medium. It's great. Yeah. It's got. It you have expansive, long stories, big arcs, schedules being invested in where you can, like with Save Me, I can direct all six. Yeah, uh, and, and so you end up thinking, yeah. what with you know over the duration of the show, it's a five-hour movie I've made, and that that's the opportunity to do that. You just can't find in independent cinema. And I, I so I miss it. I love it. I still want to watch movies forever. I still love the idea of us all sitting quietly in the dark together, but it's um, TV is so good now. That and I, I think if writers, um, at the moment, if they have an idea...
4: Their first mm. port of call is TV, mm. and and not necessarily movies anymore. And it used mm. to be all movies, mm. but now if you're having an idea and you're given the option of telling it over two hours or telling it over ten, you're going. Most writers go, well, let's, let's give let's do
0: that well, ten thing. The writer is all powerful, pretty mm. much. It seems to be from the outset looking in in TV. Mm. Someone like mm. Jack Mercurio on Line of Duty would yeah. never have the control. Uh, on a Land of Duty movie straight, from, straight off not the bat sure. anyway. yeah, sure. and uh, one last thing before I let you go uh, Nick uh, a couple of years ago on The Awakening you you, th- you mm. gave special thanks to Fernando <laughs> Torres
3: because
0: <laughs> you're like me you're, you're a big red Lenny I believe you're a Spurs fan
4: it's only now you're telling me that you also <laughs> so for all this time yeah. uh-huh. you decided to keep it quiet oh, yeah. and never told me that uh, you too because you, you're close to the exit okay Mercy you could have boy. left at
0: any time okay. any time I could have if I'd known but Actually, I, I am uh, but I you, am what you're, am le- what you're leading
3: to is who because who, every oh, I should explain this to Lenny in advance <laughs> <laughs> is every every project I've done on IMDB I've put a special thanks to somebody associated with Liverpool Football oh, Club really? okay Stevie Gerrard and Demi Carragher and um, uh, whatever and And Chris picked it up when the first time he came on set for the Awakening. He'd spotted. I thanked Fernando Torres. Um, (laughs) This was before the betrayal. Before before the betrayal. betrayal. But it's okay. We we had good years of him. Um, and, and you aren't, you're going to say, who am I going to uh, yes. thank on this one? Well, with Lenny's permission, um, <laughs> it's hard. IMDb are not letting me change any of the page. And if anybody of the listeners go to Good IMDb, I swear it. to God, the, the lead actor on this is a very sweet guy, but he is a doorman. <laughs> in, um, and They won't let me change the order of the rest. Right? Listen, you're 23.
2: I and know. List, I know he's After locked. all the effort <laughs> I put in to but be number can, one. So if
3: anybody there can figure out a way, if IMDb, if you're listening, for Christ's sake, will you let us? Change the damn page uh, to to running order, um, and I can also thank you. I can thank a member of the Liverpool staff.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. who would you thank if if it came down to it?
3: I think it has to be Mo at the moment. Mo, Mo Salah, <laughs> who's who's hot on the heels of somebody called Harry Kane or whatever. Someone, yeah, it's going to be actually, interesting. Harry but... takes penalties and he's a centre forward. is not quite well, camp, Mo, Mo doesn't does. uh, no good Harry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if no it weren't
4: for the fact he was taking penalties, we wouldn't know his name. <laughs> no
3: kidding. <laughs> Never <laughs> would have was... heard of the fella.
0: Mo Mo doesn't you know exaggerate contact
3: in the way that no. Mr Kane might do. No. no, no, okay. <laughs> Actually, De- Delhi Alley's worse than, than, in my humble opinion, I, uh, allegedly worse than than, than Harry. I, I think Harry, oh. that's a bad example. and, and I had a very, you know, very good uh, view of the
0: penalty <laughs> incident at that you, the awake you week there. I was there. Yeah. And? Uh, and, mm. uh, and the, that's just What was he that supposed that to do, jump over the arms? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> were
4: fact, you supposed that, to do the goalkeeper even, a favour? But, that
3: didn't, but, even result, a a favor but that didn't even result in a goal. I think everybody got so animated about that. The penalty was saved, and the second penalty... The second penalty was a penalty. I think it was a penalty. It was a penalty. I watched I was, yeah, I was yeah, in the main stand. <laughs> no, <but> I'm <laughs> trying to yeah. be magnanimous
4: I'd be straight up. If it yeah. wasn't a penalty, mm. I'd say we got away with it, but yeah. we didn't. It was a penalty.
0: I felt that we got away with it. I actually saw Virgil van Dijk kick uh, Lamella and I was like, did anyone else see that? And mm. no, referee's fine. We're good. We're good. And then what? No, the Lions are flagging. You can't do that. It's not the rules. Look it up. Oh, it is. It is the rules. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's scary. Well, that it was, was a good a, game, though. It was a very exciting It was a very good game, game yeah. Right. yeah. It was a very good game. I went from uh, joy to d- despair in the space of about two minutes, which was fantastic
3: for a Welcome six-hour journey home. I think the, I think the people of Rochdale went the, in the reverse in recent games. <laughs> we cannot talk about FA Cup results. <laughs> no. <laughs> Better be careful.
0: We can't do that. Yeah. Uh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in. Thank you so much indeed. Thank Lenny, you. Nick, thank, thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Okay, so that was Lenny James and Nick Murphy. Uh, Helen, you've wrote my, my sonnet. Yep. Thoughts?
1: I had questions about one of the rhymes. I think it's a half rhyme at best.
0: That's uh, yeah, totally fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the episode of Infant Number 9? You see, that's
1: why I'd originally skipped it because I didn't want any spoilers. Right,
0: okay. So there's loads of half rhymes in that. They rhyme um, bum with Magnus Magnuson, for example, at one point. Right. So, it's, yeah. it's totally, so what's we've, the half we've rhyme? We've all
1: done that, Chris. Come on.
0: What's the half rhyme? Uh, uh,
1: pentameter and beater. Shh. Okay. Shh. I'm just saying.
0: Pentameter. Yeah, but that's
1: not what
0: you say. That's how I (laughs) said. All right. Right, so let's let's talk about this week's movie releases. The big one, I would say, is the freshly minted BAFTA winning. We didn't talk about the BAFTAs. We didn't talk
1: about the BAFTAs. We didn't talk about the BAFTAs. Let's do these and then talk about the BAFTAs and try and add it in if we... we Okay.
0: So, the freshly minted BAFTA winning for Alice and Janney. I, Tonya.
1: Yes. So she plays LaVonna Faye Golden, um, who is the mother of Tonya Harding, uh, who's first played by McKenna Grace and later Margot Robbie, who is, of course, the skating talent um, who kind of takes the world by storm, but also by surprise. She comes from a very um, deprived background. Her mother is uh, pushes her and pushes on her behalf as a skater, but does not necessarily push on her behalf as a person and is... Um, borderline abusive or just full over the border I mean you know you can oh, talk that oh I'd say full over the border yeah I think that's probably yeah. fair um, and uh, basically uh, uh, Tonya becomes a sensation uh, almost despite herself certainly despite uh, the the opinions of the skating world who are a little bit horrified by her sort of I don't know how to say it. Um, she's kind of a, not even blue collar. They're, they're sort of not quite even that respectable kind of a, a background, but just unconventional, um, hard scrabble is probably the word background. And her completely take no prisoners attitude towards the conventions and the, the sort of pretensions of the skating world. However, her talent is pretty much undeniable, but she always feels like she's never getting a fair shot. Um, and she is. Uh, Unlucky and unwise in love as well, she gets married very, very young, essentially to escape her mother. Is very much the impression we're given in the film to a mechanic called Jeff Galuli, who's played by Sebastian Stan, as you have not seen him before. Um, and their relationship is also pretty disastrous. Uh, and it's all about the build-up to, of course, uh, some of you will remember the the scandal that erupted after her her rival
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, was uh, was beaten or was was attacked. So she was convicted of or pleaded guilty to conspiring to hinder the prosecution um, of those responsible for the attack. So the, the, certainly the, the feeling was that she was aware at the very least of what was happening or covered up for it afterwards. Um, this film is very sympathetic to her, but not to the extent, I think, of whitewashing a lot of her rougher edges. Completely, I think there's a little bit of a, an element of whitewashing, but not completely. But it's just it's a great character piece, um, both from Margot Robbie and, of course, from Alison Journey, Um and uh, and Sebastian Stan. I mean, he's uh, he's he's kind of horrific in this, but in a in a very realistic kind of convincing way. Um, he's some the, of the
0: Winter Olympic soldier.
1: You're so proud of yourself for that, aren't you? So, yeah, so I think the film doesn't always get under Harding's skin the way that you want to. I think there's a lot of kind of stylish stuff going on that maybe distracts sometimes from the story. So there's a lot of... Um, the, the film acknowledges straight up it's based on wildly conflicting accounts uh, from all these people involved. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a question of separating fact from myth, which I'm not sure always necessarily does right, and it has been criticised by people who originally covered Tony Harding for being too... Um, sympathetic to her but at the same time there's a, there's an element of rebalancing to be done because she really was monstered, and and this film says well maybe she didn't entirely deserve that and maybe she was sinned against as well as sinning so um, yeah very surprisingly funny very very good dr- drama and very very good performances from the cast we gave it four stars
0: yes we did I liked this film a lot I thought it was very very sippy very very cool made me laugh a lot but you yeah, know what made me think as well not too much I was mainly laughing Uh, performances are very very good Uh, Alison Janney I think you could argue the toss all day about people who were up against in her category I think Laurie Metcalf is fantastic and Lady Bird I think Holly Hunter should have been nominated all day long for The Big Sick but uh, she is fantastic in a role that almost seems tailor made to win Best Supporting Actress Oscars and BAFTAs she will win the Oscar as well Uh, she is uh, unrepentant uh, monster in this uh, and Mark Robbie is fantastic as well in real depth and um, I like the fact that it plays fast and loose it, there's a poster quote. I can't remember which magazine is it from it's not us the Goodfellas of uh, figure skating movies because there's so many of them so you have to differentiate which one's which oh this is the Goodfellas one alright get it now it very much owes a debt to Martin Scorsese and to Goodfellas yeah, I would say stylistically so. uh, directed by Craig Gillespie uh, and written Helen do you know the name of the writer?
1: Not off the top of my head.
0: Well, this is why Sebastian Stan obviously did the piece. It's written by Stephen Rogers.
1: That's it.
0: Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's it. Yeah.
1: He can really do anything, can he? Yeah.
0: Bucky just can't get away <laughs> from Stephen Rogers, <laughs> he can he?
1: can't say no. Mm-hmm.
0: I could do this all day. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is a terrific film uh, and four stars and is fully deserving. Well, I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> well,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm look forward to watching yeah. you <laughs> seeing it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was too busy watching Finding Your Feet. <laughs> to me I too. Tanya. I saw that. <laughs> yes, which, which, yeah. If you if you don't want to go and see uh, the the really good I, Tonya, and you fancy going <laughs> to see a, uh, something else, um, then don't go and see Finding Your Feet. Okay. Um, it, which is which? Which shall I, shall I talk about it? Let's talk about shall Finding talk Your Feet, then. Yeah. So uh, it's 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 very obviously aimed at your kind of. Baby Boomer for the Third Ages, which is fine. Which is fine. I'm not against films that do that. But there's just something about it. They're just not trying hard enough. So Imelda yeah. Staunton uh, plays a woman. She's a bit of a uh, snob. snob, middle-class snob, hyacinth bouquet or rather bucket kind of character. And uh, on uh, it's a big anniversary, uh, sorry, retirement party for Mm -hmm. her husband, played by John Sessions, who it turns out is having an affair with Josie Lawrence, which is a bit of a whose line is it anyway uh, flashback situation. And uh, spoiler, and um, she. um, This is the
1: first five minutes. Yeah, this is the first
2: five minutes. So she moves out. She's aghast. Her life has fallen apart, just as she thought she was going to settle down for retirement. And so she moves to. Uh, a sort of inner-city London estate where her free-loving bohemian sister, played by Celia Imrie, lives. And it's a sort of odd couple, fish-out-of-water thing going on for a bit. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of hooks, but doesn't really commit to this, hooks to a kind of a dance classes. yep, Because then it turns out that uh, Staunton's character once could have been a... Show dancer, but her husband was against it, and stuff like that and she re- she rediscovers herself and she meets a new man who's played by Tim Spall, who plays this amiable tinkerer kind of a guy and um and it would all be sort of you know slightly cringingly delightful, but mm. I actually found it had some like there was some quite horrible casual racism in
1: it, yeah they never apologize for that either no. And and I think, like, at the very least, um, Celia Emery's standing there right after and doesn't yeah. say anything, and it's clearly... Yeah. Anyway, that annoyed me. Um, and, um,
2: and that wasn't the only because there was a comment later, I don't even want to repeat it, but yeah. there's a comment made, as a joke made about uh, somebody, and, and I just sat there thinking, 2018 people, you, you don't make jokes like this anymore. What the hell were they thinking?
1: Um, there was also... it's a, <laughs> It's got a weird attitude, like, the film wants to kind of have its cake and eat it in terms of dealing with big issues about death and illness mm. and, and so on, but it, it sanitises them within an inch of their lives. I mean, well, an inch of their deaths. I mean, yeah. you know, death is so uh, easy and non-traumatic in this film yeah. that it's it's actually far more upsetting than it would be if it were dealt with properly. And um, and the illness stuff is mm. is badly, badly handled, I thought. And uh, I thought I thought it was really disappointing. Because it is, you know, I think there should be more films where Imel de Staunton gets... To play a lead role, for example, I think yeah. she's great. Nothing against her, but just the film around her is not worthy of her time.
2: Mm. I mean, Tim Spall looks a, looks a bit embarrassed to be in it. <laughs> he, he sort of doesn't doesn't look doesn't look particularly happy in any of his scenes. But I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's it just annoyed me. Mm, annoyed fair. me, and it, I, it felt like it was it was almost like. The writers or everyone involved, thought that because they were sort of they, they, they were aiming at a less demanding audience or something almost like a captive audience they were, they won't, yeah. it just felt like they just weren 't bothering
1: it felt like they were actually bending the story to fit the tropes yeah in a way that that actually did it a massive disservice
2: so then
0: two stars for finding your feet, which sadly does not find its feet <sighs> um, and uh, I think we should very, very quickly talk about the Baptists because we completely forgot to do so in the news section. Uh, it seemed to be to be a fairly predictable set of results this year.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think everybody expected Three Billboards to do well. I mean, there were some people were saying, oh, Shape of Water is likely to win everything because it is the most nominated film, but I don't think that it was, actually. I think it is still a monster movie, and that does not necessarily become front-runner at the BAFTAs just because it gets a, a lot of uh, nominations. It's a fantastic one, but not necessarily front-runner. So Three Billboards was both Best Film and Best British Film. Um uh, outstanding Debut went to I Am Not a Witch uh, which was a fantastic result I think um, Coco for Best Animated Film Guillermo did pick up Best Director which is not to be sniffed at um, Screenplay, Best Adapted went to Call Me By Your Name and original to three billboards so a good spread there and I think all the acting awards went exactly where we, th- we thought they would Frances McDormand and Gary Oldman in the leads, Alison Jenny and Sam Rockwell in supporting um, So, so no surprises there Yeah, I mean but but great results uh, further down the list. Baby driver picking up best editing, I think, is is highly deserved. Yep. Blade Runner, best cinematography. No no one ain't gonna argue with that. That's that's well I mean I know a few people who do, but they shouldn't The Um, Deeks. The Deeks seems
0: seems like he's gonna break his Oscar duck. I hope so. I hope so. Doesn't he? And then
1: Dunkirk for best sound, you know, that kind of thing is is pretty (laughs) unarguable.
0: I just, I just feel that, like, you know, everyone everyone was very deserving of their, of their wins, but I do wonder if it just needed a bit of an upset. I mean, for example, last year, Dev Patel won Best Supporting Actor over Mahershala Ali, who was winning everything and then obviously went on to win the Oscar. I, I do wonder if that might have been the category to spring a surprise. Maybe Hugh Grant for Paddington 2 mm. would have had home advantage. Everyone loves that film and that yeah. performance. And maybe it just needed something to, to really
1: push well, it home. The other thing is, that I feel like if you're, you know if you have a category called outstanding british film it should maybe be more british i think i think it shouldn't just be the producers i think that shouldn't be the thing that it's
0: it's producers and obviously where the money comes yeah. from. It's a film for film, so that yeah. I, but do you know I, what I mean? I it just
1: it feels odd. And but then I think also, if if, you, if you're going to use if the Baftas is about celebrating British film, that mm. maybe other people wouldn't say you want it to go to a God's Own Country or a Lady Macbeth or which a Paddington Two or a Paddington Two, which, which maybe haven't had the same attention yeah. in the US. And I think you know, so it would be helpful sometimes to have a bit more of a. Uh, a tighter link on those films, I think, in that category.
0: For me, it should have been Paddington 2. It's Obviously. the best, you know, it, it, well, that should have been up for more, in my opinion. It's the best film in that category. It's the biggest success in that category. And aren't these awards sometimes about rewarding success as well, in a, in a, in a way? But you would have had the slightly absurd situation, had something else won yeah. Best British Film of three billboards and winning best film <laughs> yeah. later on. So I can see how I think, it there's, a log- I
1: think there's a logic in, in, some, in some of the voters' yeah. decisions there, but I just think... The other thing I think is, and you know, BAFTA have obviously made their decision on this not that long ago, I think they should move back after the Oscars. And I know that they moved into the pre-Oscar season because it gets them a bigger, starrier turnout. of the Americans are more likely to come over if it's still in the Oscar race. But... There was something to be said for the BAFTAs being post Oscars and not being not kind of joining that race and not kind of being part of that push to you know try and convince people that they're important to the Oscars. It shouldn't be about that. It should be a different thing. It should be its own thing, the way that the Goyas are, the way that the Cesars are and and it really isn't now. It just feels like a satellite award, which I think is a little bit disappointing
0: yeah I, yeah, I do get that, but I also feel that it wouldn't be as relevant. And yeah. I think it needs to be relevant. It needs to be seen as as part of the, the race the Oscars. As it is right now, it is the last stop along the way. And the fact that they get all these big names, yeah. that's a huge win for them. Uh, years ago, I don't think you would have got, I mean, pretty much every major nominee turned up. Even ones who must have gone, like must have turned up thinking, I'm not going to win this one. I'm not going to win this because Alison Janney's winning everything. I'm not yeah. going to win this because Sam Rockwell's winning everything. But here I am, nevertheless, because it's it's important to be seen. It's important to celebrate. It's important to be part of the yeah. celebration. And I, I actually do think that it's a good place for the BAFTAs to be right now. I
1: guess so. It was also interesting that the black dresses uh, of the, the Globes continued um, into mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. BAFTAs, which I wasn't sure that they would. And I'm now wondering if it'll continue to the Oscars.
0: I would say so. It's going to be the biggest platform what was interesting as well is that an awful lot of uh, guys were wearing Times Up badges yes. as well. Yes,
1: and also some of the male winners actually mentioned it in their speeches this yes, time, which literally none of them did at the Globe, So I, I think, think they've at least picked up a yeah slap wrap on the, the wrist. Knuckles. Slap on the wrist. Wrapping yeah. the knuckles has has been noted. Um, also, uh, cool to see uh, Francis McDormand's. Uh, just being honey honey badger about the whole thing. Um, She and and, uh, Joel Cohen just sitting there like, I mean, we have no part in what's going on here, but we're just going to sit and get through it. Of
2: course, she didn't turn up in black and then was just like, yeah i I, I, but, I mean, I can't. I, I can't by help a kick against conformism or something. Well, you know, I, I those, I are, those I'd, weren't her exact words, yeah. but yeah. But I think
1: someone like her has the great advantage of literally no one would question that she's a feminist. No yeah. one with a half a brain is going to question that she's a feminist. And equally, literally, no one is going to expect her to be a performative feminist. Yeah. So absolutely, I think it's the people with more to prove who who are more concerned with wearing black.
0: Yeah. I should mention a couple more releases this week that we're not going to be able to talk about uh, in great detail. So there is Dark River, which is Claire Barnard's uh, follow-up to The Selfish Giant. Not a sequel when I say follow-up, it means it's their next movie. And of course, Ruth Wilson was on last week's live podcast. Fantastic guest, along with Taryn Edgerton. If you haven't listened to that, do listen to it. Uh, And it is a gritty drama set in the Yorkshire Moors. And we gave that three stars, three stars. And then there's Birth of a Dragon, which is a strange, kind of, not really biopic of Bruce Lee. Oh, I thought it was going to be about a dragon. Yeah, not like about a dragon. Like someone gets a
2: dragon egg and then it goes yeah. in the fire and then it comes out and then they become a queen. And, and then they move
1: into a dungeon. Yeah.
2: Oh, and then awesome. rolls a dice.
0: It's a D20 and it all yeah. goes wrong. So this is a, this is about Bruce Lee and his friendship with a, a, a fictional actor but someone clearly modelled on Steve McQueen in early 1960s uh, America. However, it's a Bruce Lee biopic that doesn't have a whole lot of Bruce Lee in it, focusing instead largely on, on, the, uh, on the actor, which mm. is a strange choice, yes. shall we say. Let's give the filmmakers a bit of the doubt uh, sure. behind, about the decision. But it's a, it's a two-star film. I reviewed that. I didn't think it was all that. Some decent fight scenes, as you might expect, though. And also, we haven't seen yet Duncan Jones' Mute, which hopefully I'm seeing tonight. It hits Netflix tomorrow, well, today, Friday, the
1: 23rd? 23rd?
0: 22nd? 22nd? Know. That'll do. Whatever it is. Hang on, let me just check. It's the 23rd. 23rd. It hits Netflix today, Friday the 23rd. Uh, obviously stars uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Paul Rudd and Justin Thoreau. And uh, looks fantastic. And Early Worth in the States is very, very good. But we'll find out for ourselves uh, tomorrow on Netflix. Do check the Empire website as well for a review of that. And another science fiction movie which is getting a limited release this weekend, is a film called Native, starring Rupert Graves. And this is co-written by Neil Atkinson, uh, who is the uh, main host of the Anfield Rap podcast, which is a podcast I love, and he has um, uh, moonlighted, shall we say, and uh, co-written a film. Uh, So it's coming out this weekend. I think you can check it out on Video On Demand as well, as well as in select cinemas across the country. So uh, Mute and Native, look out for those. And that's it.
1: Yeah,
0: that well, is yeah. it for this bumper-packed, culture-packed edition of the Empire Podcast. Uh, Helen and Dan are probably going to talk about the culture now for another mm-hmm. twenty minutes. I'm just going to
2: leave and let them <laughs> let them let them go to it. Look, it's uh,
1: really good, Chris. Mm, You'd like, yeah, it.
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, use of this, weapons. I mean, just just oh read God. that. If you only read one, read use of weapons. I've
1: read
0: Ian Banks novels. I've never read Ian M Banks. novels. He's so much novels. better than yeah, Ian Banks. he is. He is. Yeah,
2: I. Just, I they always look so dense to me like you probably no 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 no? No, 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 no. they're fun they're actually fun he has a real sense of humour how would you compare
0: them to say the Dan Simmons books like Olympos and Ilium close close Close, uh, yeah.
1: better. Less of a head fuck than Ilium and Olympus. Yeah, well, yeah. Which, by the way, if anyone's listening, we really, really recommend Dan <laughs> oh, Simmons' Ilium yeah. and Olympus.
2: Absolutely. And that, in fact,
1: almost any Dan Simmons is pretty damn great.
2: Yeah, yeah. His yeah. he's, he's, he's other non-sci-fi books are really good fun as yeah, well, yeah. like Drood and... Um, the Terror. The Terror is fantastic. Oh. Now, that,
1: Abominable is also great. I, I, like I
2: haven't Abominable. read that yet. Got it on hardback when, yeah. it was at, when, it, when it first came out and then forgot to read it for some reason. A lot of people don't like it, but I love it. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah, uh, culture, culture, oh, yeah. yeah, culture, culture, oh yeah. Culture, culture all the way. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, right, well that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Francis Lawrence, director of Red Sparrow. Ooh. And of course, before that, 87 Hunger Games movies, mm-hmm. uh, I Am Legend and Constantine. So we'll be joined by him. and That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to hand deliver a copy of the new issue of Empire, of course, which was curated by Steven Spielberg himself to my good friends Ron and Clemmie Eckley <laughs> in the small <laughs> village outside Leeds. It's a, it's, a, it's a long walk and I might have to take bus. So,
1: Hate crime. It's
0: <laughs> hate crime if you absolutely nail the accent <laughs> of someone who has moved around in their lives and has a bit of an accent, a bit of a Patrick Quilt of an accent, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say, Ron? Yeah, I would. Heck is like. See? Ron agrees with me. Thanks for listening. Dad's <laughs> not sure about that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, see you next week. Bye.